0: Okay, so John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, Was sitting beside the well, it was about the sixth hour, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? A woman of Samaria, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, will be thirsty again. But he ever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become will come in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty, or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months. Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know what this is indeed, the saviour of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the truth that you reveal to us in your word. We're thankful that we can come to you Holy God, this morning, creator of the world, and know that you love us and care for us. Father, we're thankful that you have made a way for us to come through Jesus. We are thankful that Jesus came and died and rose again, that our sin can be forgiven. And, Father, as we... um, Look closer at this word together. We pray that you come and speak to each of our hearts. We're thankful that you know us so well. You know what we need to hear this morning. And Father, we thank you um, that you will speak to us now if our hearts are ready. Father, we want to pray um, for all our church family this morning. Um, We just pray that you minister to each person who belongs here at cornerstone father that you knowing every need and every situation lord that you would comfort and that you would heal and that you would guide lord as we know that you do so well and father we pray as well for other situations in our world this morning we pray especially this morning for india and when we see how how bad things are there and how much the um, coronavirus is having an impact father we pray for that situation um, asking for help for them and that you come and that you through this time lord show yourself to them and speak and change that country but father pray for us now pray for john as he speaks lord that you would guide him and help him and open our hearts to listen i pray in jesus name amen
1: Hey man, thanks, Julie. Hey, uh, Julie was talking about uh, running up John Street there, and we we were in the car the other night, and there was an advert came on the radio. I think it was for natural gas or something. It was like, and the woman in the advert said, "John, I'm just home from a run. I'm going to the shower." And I was like, "There's words I'll never hear." <laughs> He's a funny fella anyway, right, uh, John chapter 4, you, you, I sort of lured you into a false sense of hope two weeks ago in, in saying that we were going to be looking at this last week, but we are in John chapter 4 today, and I have been looking forward to this passage for a few weeks. What I want to say about John chapter 4 is this, John chapter 4, and particularly this story of the woman of the well, is just, it is kind of hardly put it in the word. It is just laced with unbelievable grace. It is a stunning depiction of the grace of Jesus. But let's get into it today. John in the the gospel tells us why he writes the gospel. Later, very, very near the end of the gospel, John will say that he has a very definite purpose in writing this account, He tells us that the purpose was in order that men and women might believe that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. He writes it that we may believe. He writes it that that whoever would read it, whoever would preach it, and whoever would hear it would believe that Jesus was the Messiah. It is evangelistic in purpose. That's why John is sometimes known as John the Evangelist. It is evangelistic in purpose. That's why he writes the gospel. He makes no bones about it He's perfectly open and frank about it. He tells the stories the way that he tells the stories that we may believe. And as I said, we, we began, John, in the prologue. And John, if you can remember back, I said this, it's almost as if he begins not on earth the way the rest of the gospel writers do. He, he begins from above, saying that the Word was with the word was God, and the Word was with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word... And the same was in the beginning was with God. I'm all over the place. Then a little later in the chapter, he tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. John has been, even like we said last week, been selecting stories to tell us. He doesn't tell us everything that happened, but he has been unbelievably selective in what he does tell us with the purpose that we may believe. He's told us about the wedding at Cana. He's told us about the encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus. And now in chapter 4, he's telling us about an encounter with a woman at a well. A woman at a well. John's purpose in telling this story is so that we may believe. It's evangelistic. He wants us to realize And he wants everyone who ever read this gospel to realize that the Jesus whom the Samaritan woman meets is the incarnate God. And he begins by saying something that looks, in the story, it looks insignificant, but it actually has massive significance. And it's about geography. It's about geography. There's a little phrase here, the scene is set in the opening couple of verses of chapter 4. There's a confrontation with the Pharisees again, where the Pharisees realize that, that Jesus is on the scene and he is he's, he's attaining for himself a, a, a gathering of people that is bigger than John the Baptist. They realize that he's baptizing more than John the Baptist. Uh, interesting note, I didn't say in the first service. Interesting wee thing there. It says that he didn't himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. John Piper says that he reckons that's perhaps because he didn't want people thinking that Oh, they were baptized by Jesus, so they got the real thing rather than by other people. But the Pharisees realize what's going on here. Jesus is building momentum. And so, Jesus realizing that, knowing that His time is, is not yet, makes a move. And He's out of there. And He goes, we're told, he is going northwards to Galilee. And John gives us a little lesson in geography here. And the text says this, and He had to pass through Samaria, He had to pass through Samaria. Right, now if you look on a map from where Jesus is to Galilee, Samaria is right slap bang in the middle, and it looks like the best way to go through Samaria. It's the shortest route between the two destinations, and it looks like the logical way to go. The only problem with that is that no Jew ever would have went through Samaria. No Jew ever would have went through Samaria. They intentionally bypassed it because, if you're familiar with the Scripture and the Bible, that we know that Samaritans and Jews hated each other with a passion. They hated each other. And, but the passage says he had to go through Samaria. Samaria. He didn't. No Jew would have ever went through Samaria. But Jesus, John says here, He had to go through Samaria. Why was there such hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, quickly? What had happened was the Samaritans embraced this sort of mix of religions between Judaism and uh, idolatry, more or less. Samaritans the inhabitants of Samaria had intermarried with foreigners and adopted their idolatrous religions. And so, therefore, Jews, ethnic Jews, believed, called them half-breeds and treated them as such. And so, they hated each other. Think of the story of the Good Samaritan, and just, we'll, we'll get there, but the, the significance of that. When they, these, these two groups of people hated each other And so, no self-respecting Jew would have went through. That's how much they hated each other. They wouldn't even go through it. The passage says, and He had to pass through Samaria. Now, there's significance in this. There is significance in this. Jesus intentionally goes through Samaria. He went intentionally to meet this woman. Let's not read this as some sort of happy coincidence. Let's not read the passage as as Jesus just went through Samaria and there so happened to be a woman that he stopped at the well it was just he so happened to stop at the well and there so happened to be a woman there and there so happened to be don't let's not read it like that because that's not the way it's intended to be read. Jesus intentionally went where no other Jew would go, went through Samaria, went and sought out this woman. He sought her out. Sometimes we sing songs and we don't really think about the lyrics, or they don't hit us at the time the way they should. This week, when I was thinking about this, this intentional seeking of Jesus, this this like missile-like directional, intentional seeking. I'm going through Samaria because I have to meet with this woman. It's been preordained before the foundations of the earth. I'm going through Samaria. This, these words of this hymn, Come Thou Fount, came to me. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed His precious blood. The woman that we meet today didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus went looking for her. Jesus went looking for her. He sought her out like a guided missile. Folks, that's how meeting Jesus works. There is not one of us in this room right now who is a follower of Jesus went looking for Jesus not one. He went looking for you intentionally. I had no notion of following Jesus when He went looking for me. Some of you maybe are aware of Brian. Brian was in the first service, and some of you maybe have saw Brian's story on on Facebook recently. Brian says he had no notion of going to look or following Jesus when Jesus intentionally sought him out. I don't know about you, but that makes my heart just want to over, just explode with gratitude. I don't deserve it, haven't earned it, couldn't in myself even go looking for Jesus, and He comes looking for me. And this is what he does here. He intentionally goes after this woman, looking for her. It's beautiful. That's how coming to Jesus works. None of us left our own devices. Go looking for him. Not one. And one of the first things we see here, and we've, seen, we've witnessed this in the Gospel of John so far, John uses, like, it's almost like he uses this tool where Jesus presents a clear truth and people don't get it. Think of Nicodemus. You must be born again. Hmm? Don't understand what you're talking about. Think about uh, when he says about rebuild, tearing down the temple and rebuilding it in three days. Uh, Pharisees, I'm out. I don't have a clue what you're saying. And it's the same here with the woman. Jesus presents a clear truth and it seems as though she just doesn't get it. It seems as though she just missed it. Jesus goes to the woman and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that it was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman replied, verse 11, sir, have you, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Missed it. Missed it. Jesus goes on to tell her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Now, it's obvious what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying, this is Jacob's well. You know this is Jacob's well, but someone is here. Someone is in your midst. Someone is speaking to you that is greater than Jacob. Someone is here that is greater than Jacob. And I have water that will satisfy you, The woman misses it. Thankfully, later on, we'll come to see that she does get it. But what we see from this is really simple. Jesus can be here, and we miss him. Jesus can be right in front of our face, and we miss him. Jesus can be saying things to him, or to us, and we don't understand it. That happens on two levels. It happens with salvation. Sometimes Jesus is standing in front of people, right in front of people, It's clear as day, and they miss it. But sometimes it happens to followers of Jesus in our sanctification, in our walk with Him. Jesus calls us into further life with Him, into further obedience with Him, into a greater understanding of who He is, and we miss it. Thankfully, the woman here gets it Eventually, but we can miss it. We can miss it. We need the Spirit of God on every single level to show us more of Jesus and who He is. So, we have this conversation about water, and that's significant, because so far in John, every time water has been mentioned, it is about purification. It's about being made pure or a symbol of purification— think of baptism, think of all the things that John, John has mentioned so far. When water, you need to be born again of water and the Spirit. It's a sign of purification. And so, John, when, when Jesus talks about uh, He is living water that will spread, sp- uh, spring up into eternal life, that's what He's talking about. And He's saying, if you come to Me, I will make you pure, and you'll never have to go looking for that again. That's what He's saying. That's what He means. You'll never have to go looking for to be made pure again by anything or anyone. You'll never have to come to the well again. That's it. Once you come to me, you're pure. So we have this discussion about water, but then Jesus goes somewhere else. Jesus, it's as if they're having this theological debate about water, and then Jesus goes, right, enough of that. Let's get to the point. And Jesus takes her somewhere she doesn't want to go. Jesus takes her somewhere she doesn't want to go. He goes straight to the heart. And he says this, "'Go, call your husband, and come here.'" And the woman answered, "'I have no husband.'" And Jesus said to her, "'You're right in saying you have no husband, "'for you have had five husbands, "'and the one you now have is not your husband.'" What you have said is true. Now, let's just pause and take a breath. Because what we're going to do next will reveal a lot about who you are and where your heart is. And so we need to get dialed in for this. I'm going to read that statement to you again and then we're going to pause. Jesus said, "'Go, call your husband, and come here.' The woman answered him, "'I have no husband.' Jesus said to her, "'You are right in saying, in what you're saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have, and the one that you now have, is not your husband. What you have said is true.'" What did you think when you heard that statement? What you thought when you hear that statement will tell you a lot about where your heart is. It'll tell you a lot about yourself, and it'll tell you a lot about your relationship to Jesus. What I mean, when you heard that this woman had five husbands and the, one that she was with, the man that she was with now was not her husband, where did you apportion blame? Where did your judgment lie? Did it lie with her? Well, it must have been her fault. She said five husbands. Just a note on that. Jesus doesn't do that. The text doesn't do that. And it's certainly not the point of the text. I have found myself this week at odds with some of the commentaries and some of the commentators and some of the things that I have listened to on this. Because some of them have apportioned blame in the direction of the woman. And there is nowhere in the text that you could have got that. Nowhere. What if What if the five husbands that she had were wasters and used and abused her and walked away? Do we ever consider that? Do we ever think that that's her story? Or have we been conditioned just to blame her? Jesus doesn't do that, and nor should we. Jesus wants to show us something. John, the gospel writer, wants to show us something when he's talking about this woman at the well. And this is what he's showing us, and this is the point. This is the point of the passage. John, remember John is being selective in what he tells us and this is what he said, and this is the point. Think about where the context of this passage falls. What was the, who, who did we look at two weeks ago? Anybody, anybody can answer. Who did we look at? Nicodemus. We looked at Nicodemus, the Jewish, well-educated, wealthy, well-thought-of, religious man, John three sixteen. 16, the whosoever. Then we have a Samaritan, uneducated, poor, immoral woman. And Jesus and John want to show us that the message to the, both of them are exactly the same. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what background you have, the message is the same. You must be born again. That's the point of the passage. You must be born again. If you're familiar with this story and you've heard it preached before, I'm sure you have, you will know why she's there at the time she's there. She feels ashamed. It's the warmest part of the day. She knows no one else is going to be at the well. She, she, she's ashamed. She doesn't want to see anyone. She doesn't want to engage with anybody. Why? Why does she not? Here's why. Because people can be incredibly cruel. People can be incredibly judgmental. People can be incredibly mean. And she doesn't want to be around people. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. The sovereign God of the universe, the one who holds the very tides in His hand, goes intentionally like a guided missile to that well and initiates the conversation with a woman, knowing everything He knows. That's our Savior. And He says, give me a drink. Now, let's be honest. The woman here is being pretty elusive, let's just say. Jesus says, give me a drink. And she says, why are you asking me a Samaritan for a drink? Just give me a drink. And Jesus spins it. He says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink, and I would have given you water that would never run out. And this conversation seems to be going nowhere, really. It seems to be like a spiritual... One of those super spiritual conversations. Do you ever have a try and have a conversation with someone who's like that, who they, they want to turn everything into a super spiritual metaphor? No. There, yeah. There's a there's a little <laughs> there's a song that the Cornerstone staff sing every night or watch every night again, and it's Jim Owen, and the people say what? But it's like having a conversation with one of those people where, you know, every, it's like what you talk about. It's a lovely day of the day, and they're like. Mm, the sun would be shining like the Son of God shining. And you're like, oh, I just don't can we have an ordinary conversation? It seems to be going a bit like that. And Jesus is like, no, no, let's, let's not do that. Let's get to the point. Let's cut that. Let's just get to where we need to get, get to. And you see, this woman is thirsty, and Jesus knows she's thirsty. What is she thirsty for, though? She's thirsty for love. She's thirsty, thirsty for acceptance. She's thirsty for grace, compassion, identity, mercy, forgiveness. She is so thirsty for all of these things. And you know what? We are too. We are too. You are too. I am too. We're thirsty and we try to fill that thirst with an abundance of stuff. We try to quench it with family, we try to quench it with wealth, we try to quench it with popularity, we try to quench quench it with career, we try to quench it with a a spouse or a partner, we try to quench the thirst with an abundance of stuff. And, and what I'm going to say next might sound cliché, and it might sound like the Sunday school answer. And if I were to ask all of you, what is the, the answer to the question I'm going to ask, you would all say the same thing. You would all give me the Sunday school answer. Uh, what, what, what is the only thing? Who is the only thing that can quench our thirst? What is it? Jesus. And whilst that is sounds cliché, and whilst it does sound Sunday school, it is true And we all know the theory of it, but putting it into practice is a different story. And you might guess I've been trawling old hymns this week, Come Now Found. And then I found this one that speaks to this, this thirsting that we have and the fulfillment that can only be found in Jesus. Listen to these words. These are fantastic words. O Christ, in thee my soul hath found, and found in thee alone the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. I sighed for rest and happiness. Anybody else identify with that? No? I sighed for rest and happiness. We're all looking for that. I yearned for them, not thee, but while I passed my Savior by, his love laid hold on me. I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but ah, the waters failed, e'en as I stooped to drink, they fled and mocked me as I wailed. The pleasures lost I sadly mourned, but never wept for thee, till grace the sightless eyes received, thy loveliness to see. The only thing that could satisfy this woman was Jesus the only thing that can satisfy us is Jesus. And then the story gets a little bit funny. I don't know uh, it's just me, maybe. But what happens next is is funny and it shows us what's in the human heart. It's funny and it shows us what's in the human heart. Jesus says, go get your husband. And the first thing the woman does... uh, I would ask you for a show of hands, but I wouldn't want to embarrass you. What she does is something I think there's a lot of us. I'll just say a lot of us. I'll not say all, because that would be a blanket statement and I can't do that. So I'll say what I think she does is what a lot of us does. She tells the truth, but doesn't tell the truth. What does she say? Go get your husband. What does she say? I have no husband. She's told the truth but she hasn't told the whole story. Jesus says, you're right. You don't. You've had five, and the one you're now with is not your husband. And let me be categorically clear on this. Jesus does not say that in any sense of judgmental way. There is no condemnation in the tone of Jesus here. He just wants to get to the point. And her response is hilarious. Jesus has just went to the sorest part of her life. He has revealed stuff about her that, that no one else maybe even knew. And what does she want to do? She wants to have a theological debate. You're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five, and the one you're now with is not yours. I perceive you're a prophet. Uh, our Father said we will worship on this mountain, but the Jews say that we'll worship on another mountain. Anybody else identify with that tactic? No? Jesus wants to go to the heart. Jesus wants to get to the issue. Jesus wants to take you to the place where there's real pain and suffering and hurt. Uh, uh, and you're like, let's talk about the apocalypse. Or it's like being in the men's and the women's Bible study, no doubt, when things get real and when someone's being honest, or when you feel that the Holy Spirit is bringing something up in your life that you want to talk about, or you're maybe, it's maybe getting a wee bit too deep, it's maybe getting a wee bit too personal, and what do you do? You talk about the finer points of Calvinism. Jesus doesn't want to do that. Can you see that? Jesus doesn't want to talk about theology. Jesus wants to talk about the issue. Jesus wants to talk about your heart. Jesus wants to go a little bit deeper, but she doesn't want to go there. She doesn't want to go there. Let me hazard a guess at why she doesn't want to go there. And I think it's more than a guess. She doesn't want to go there because here's the reality. Life sucks. Life is painful. Life is hard. And it's too painful to deal with. Stuff happens to us and stuff happens by us that is just too painful to deal with, and she doesn't want to go there. So, she just starts talking about theology. I could have spent half an hour this morning on talking about what Jesus means when He says there will be worshipers by spirit and truth. And we might have left here thinking, oh, I learned something today about what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. But, you know, I don't think that's the point of the passage. And I don't think it's what God wants to say to us today. And I don't think it's what John the Gospel writer, and I don't, think it was, I don't think it's what Jesus wants to show us. I think they want to show us something else. I think they want to show us that it doesn't matter if you're in here today and you're Nicodemus. And you look as if you have it all together, and you're well-educated, and you're religious, and you're moral, and you're whatever. It doesn't matter who, you, if you're that. The, the point is that you need to be born again, and you need Jesus. And I, I think if you're in here this morning, and you're feeling a wee bit like the woman at the well, that life has dealt you some hard blows, that, that Life has been tough. It doesn't matter what happened here in this woman's life, by the way. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter who was to blame. It doesn't matter what happened with her relationships. The fact is that she is at this place, and her life has been awful. And you're maybe in here this morning, and you maybe feel like that. You maybe feel that life has dealt you a cruel hand and things have happened to you or or you have even done things to others that have not been good. And here's the message of the gospel to you today, both of you, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. and has grace for you. That's the message. Your religion isn't enough to save you, and your past isn't enough to keep you away from the grace of God. The grace that Jesus displays here to this woman is phenomenal. He seeks her out, He demonstrates acceptance by speaking to her, never mind anything else. He demonstrates love for her, concern for her, by going to the very place where she is most sore. And what's her response? What's her response? Why was this woman at the well at the time she was there? Because she didn't want to see anybody. What's her response? She goes to everybody she knows and tells them about Jesus. There has been a dramatic transformation here. What is it? What is it? What's been the dramatic transformation? I'll tell you, five minutes with Jesus. Five minutes with Jesus has dramatically changed this woman's life, where she has felt loved, where she has felt accepted, where she has felt grace, where she has known compassion. And the woman who didn't want to be around anyone went to everyone and told them about this man who could maybe just be the Messiah. It is the same Jesus that today, whatever crap that's going on in your life wants to meet you right there. The same Jesus. He has the same grace, the same compassion, the same love for you as He did for the woman at the well that He did for Nicodemus. And there's only one message today. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. She needed him. Nicodemus needed him. We need him. We need him. Let me pray. Father. Sometimes the grace that you have for us is overwhelming. The love that You show us, the forgiveness that You offer us, it's mind-blowing. And Father, for those in here who are falling into either camp this morning of Nicodemus or the woman at the well, Father, I just pray that they would know Your love, know Your grace, know how much You love them, know how much You're just calling them to You, through your beautiful Son. Holy Spirit, I just pray this morning that you would help us look into Jesus' face. And think about all of our sin. Think about how much our sin disgusts you, Father. help us look into the face of Jesus and see the forgiveness and the grace that He offers us. And help us to respond appropriately. In His beautiful name I pray.